friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. Right now, we're ready to go to God's Word, and I'd like everybody to please rise, please, from their seats. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You and bless You for this wonderful Sunday morning, O oh God, the first Sunday of this year. And so we're excited, O oh God, because we know that You have great things in store for us, and we trust, Lord that none of your plans would be frustrated. And so we come against every work of Satan beginning now in the name of Jesus, and we come against all these demonic forces, and we pray, Lord, that you might hedge us about with your angels. We pray, Lord, that the empowering of the Holy Spirit will be upon each and every mind and every heart, and I pray for myself. Lord, I pray that you might go beyond my weaknesses and I pray that you might anoint my lips of clay. Give me your wisdom, O God, and allow me to speak even beyond the manuscript that was prepared, that I might minister to every need that your people might have. I pray, Lord, that you will bring about conviction. I pray that you might even bring a revival in our hearts beginning this year, O Father. We pray that you might refresh us with your presence, and we trust, Lord, that you will do all these things to the end that your name might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Calling for Intercessors in 2018. God woke me up early this morning about 4 o'clock. And I could not go back to sleep, and so I felt that the Lord must have been leading me to pray and intercede, particularly for this morning service. And God spoke to my heart, and He said that this year is going to be a year of purification. So I believe that God is going to prepare us for something bigger and greater, but at the same time, it will be much more difficult on our part because what God is going to do is He's going to test our hearts. He is going to purify our hearts. And for this reason, I believe that if we are going to have a good year, a year of faithfulness to the Lord, we need to make this year a year of intercession. So actually, this sermon is a call for us to vigorous intercession for our country as well as for our own church. Now, I believe that if this call is heeded, the Lord will strengthen, He will establish our church, we will see His glory, we will see His splendor, and I believe as well that we will see better times for our country. Our country needs a lot of prayers. There are certain things that are happening in our country, and some of us, of course, are greatly troubled, 
And we want God to be on top of things. We want His sovereignty to rule and reign in this country. But friends, that will not happen if you and I do not pray. That will not happen if we do not seek the face of God. So again, this sermon is a call to vigorous intercession. Now, the way I'd like to be able to explain this sermon would be in three ways. First of all, I'd like to talk about Israel's lament. And of course, we will see that relating to our own situation, hopefully in our church and individual situation. And then, secondly, we will talk about God's power and willingness to answer our prayers. And finally, we will talk about the two failures of Israel. So let's begin with Israel's lament, which we shall see in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. Now, we will be taking a look at the book of Isaiah a lot of times. This is a book that we'd like to delve into because there are many things here that could serve as an analogy to our situation as a church and even as a nation. And so let's begin by reading Isaiah 40, verse 27. And here was the lament of Israel to God. And God was saying, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Now Israel was lamenting God's seeming inaction with all the natural, I'm sorry, with all the national problems that they were facing. And so they were wondering, Lord, why are you silent? Why have you not been hearing our prayers? You see, the problem at that time was that Israel was in deep trouble. In fact, the northern kingdom at the time of Isaiah's writing was already exiled in Assyria. Ten of the tribes of Israel were exiled in Assyria. And only a remnant was allowed to remain in the northern part of the kingdom. At the same time, Assyria was creating a lot of problems with the southern kingdom. We're talking about Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And then there was the looming threat of Babylon. It was now a rising power. It will eventually take over the Assyrian Empire, and it will rule later on in the Middle East. And so this was the pressing problem that the southern kingdom was facing, and they were wondering that with all the prayers that they were praying, why was it that God was not moving? Why was it that God was not answering their prayers? Now, I don't know your personal situation, or maybe you're looking into what is happening to our country, and you're crying out to God, and you're asking Him, Lord, why aren't you doing something in our country? Why aren't you doing anything in our own individual lives, in our own families? Perhaps you, like Israel, are also lamenting your situation. You're complaining to God. You're grumbling to Him. And you've been waiting for Him. And yet, seemingly, heaven is silent. And so this was the, the thing that was deeply disturbing Israel. Israel was deeply insecure about her own national security and survival. Yet, it seemed that God 
was silent. Now, here's the question we would like to be able to answer. Was God's seeming inactivity a sign that God was unwilling and powerless to save? Again, let's ask that question. Was God's seeming inactivity a sign that God was unwilling and powerless to save? Let's take a look at Isaiah 59 as we see that God's power is always present and God is always willing to answer. So Isaiah 59, beginning at verse 1, reads, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is His ear so dull that it cannot hear. What is this verse trying to tell us? It is telling us that God's power does not fall short of any problem difficulty or obstacle you and I are facing. God is almighty. I'd like to quote to you what Matthew Henry states, and this is so beautiful. It goes, His hand is not shortened. His power is not at all lessened, straightened, or abridged. Whether we consider the extent of His power or the efficacy of it, God can reach as far as ever, with as strong a hand as ever. Neither length of time nor strength of enemies, no, nor weakness of instruments can shorten or straighten the power of God with which to save by many or by few. I believe it is very important, most especially this coming year, to have a very high view of God. And this is something that Isaiah presents to the people of the southern kingdom, that they might have a high view of God. Because at that time, they were deeply under great stress. And their view of God was becoming lower and lower. They failed to see God as almighty and all-powerful. And it's possible that that is the way we see God. We see God as powerless. We see God as not being active. We see God as not answering our prayers. But friends, we need to perish those thoughts because those are not true at all. We need to be able to see that our God is able and that our God is willing to deliver us. That, I believe, is very important, most especially in 2018. I just went to IT Park. Uh, I preached to them. That's the reason why I wasn't here uh, last weekend. And I talked to them about the subject matter of depression. And I was sharing to them that it sounds a little uh, incredible that during Christmas season, that's the time when a lot of people actually get depressed. Even during New Year, a lot of people also get depressed. And it's possible that right now, you have a low view of God. Again, the Bible is telling us we must not have a low view of God. Not only is the God that we serve almighty and all-powerful, let us remind ourselves He has no hearing problems. That's exactly what we see here in verse 1. Let's just read again the second portion of the verse. Or maybe let's read verse 1 once again. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is His 
ear so dull that it cannot hear. Now remember this, God does not need a hearing aid. God has no hearing problems. Now you might say, but there are millions and millions of people who are praying every single day. How can God possibly hear all of those prayers? Every second, every minute, every week, every day, every month, every year, there are millions of prayers being heard. Can God possibly listen to all those prayers? Again, when we look at the book of Isaiah, friends, God is telling us that God is able to hear our cries. He is able to hear our laments. He is able to hear our petitions before Him. So again, very important that we be able to see the omniscience of God, that God knows everything. And not only does God know everything, He cares for us, and He desires to minister to us. He wants to bless us. And again, let me quote to you what Matthew Henry states. He goes, He was still as ready. This is referring to God. God was still as ready and willing to help as ever in answer to prayer. His ear is not heavy, that it cannot hear. Though he has many prayers to hear and answer, and though he has been long hearing prayer, yet he is still as ready to hear prayer as ever. And so, friends, let's meditate on that. Let's focus on what this verse is trying to teach us. So if you have any doubts, if you have any questions in your mind, fix your eyes on what the Bible is saying to us. Our God is not dull of hearing. In fact, one of the wonderful things I have seen in the Scriptures is how God had delivered the nation of Israel. Remember that God took them out of Egypt. They were crying out to God for hundreds of years, and they wanted deliverance. And so God sends a deliverer. He sends Moses to them. And Moses was able to take them out of Egypt. If you recall the story, the Red Sea was divided into two parts, and the people of Israel were able to cross through dry land. And they were going through the wilderness at that time, proceeding towards the land of Canaan. And a lot of people were with Moses. And so let's take a look at Numbers chapter 11, beginning at verse 21 all the way to verse 23. Here's what it says. But Moses said, The people among whom I am are 600,000 on foot. Now actually, these were just the men. Because if you recall, there was a census that was made in the book of Numbers. And so they counted the number of men who could act as soldiers for Israel. And in that census, they discovered that they had 600 able-bodied men, adults who could fight in war. So the women were actually not counted together with the children. So we're talking about something like 2 million people, all right, thereabouts, 2 million people who were walking through the wilderness proceeding all the way to the land of Canaan. Now, that's a lot of people, and that's a lot of people to feed, by the way. And so God had provided for them. 
There was manna, there was bread that was coming down from heaven. But the people got tired of manna. They probably tried every recipe in the book to make uh, something really good out of manna. But as I mentioned to you, they got tired of it, and they were asking God now for meat. Now, this is the situation that Moses was facing. And so, again, let's read verse 21. It says, The people among whom I am are 600,000 on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat so that they may eat for a whole month. Even that was so astounding to Moses. He was really wondering if God was mighty and powerful enough to feed two million people in the desert. Where will he get the meat? Where will he get all that food to be able to feed two million people for one whole month? How is, is he able to do that? Those were the things that were running through the mind of Moses. And so he argues with God and he says, Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to be sufficient for them? The Lord said to Moses, and this is very important for us to hear. The Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. And the rest is history. Because we know as far as the record of the Scriptures are concerned, God was able to feed these people, two million people, with meat for a whole month. God was able to do that for them. And again, what does that tell you? It speaks about the power of our God. It speaks about the might of our God. It speaks about the fact that there is nothing impossible with our Lord. Now, that sounds so basic, but oftentimes we are overwhelmed with fear. Oftentimes we are overwhelmed with circumstances and difficulties and obstacles. And what happens is our view of God is blocked. And instead of seeing God, what we see are our problems. What we see are our circumstances. What we see are things that are happening in our country. But friends, here is where we can practice walking by faith and not by sight. And this is actually the call of Paul to people in the New Testament that we are not to walk by sight, but we are to walk by faith. The book of Hebrews, the, the writer to the book of Hebrews calls us to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is who our God is. If God was able to do great and mighty things in the past, He is able to do that in the present, and He will still be able to do that in the future. And this is the reason why we must not fear. This is the reason why we must not doubt the power of God, because the power of God is unlimited. Amen? That is the God you and I serve. And here's the thing, not only is it true that God is able to hear our prayers, God is also quick to hear. 
And we are given a picture of this in Isaiah. And let me just give you the context of what I am about to share. This is actually talking about the millennial kingdom. A time wherein the Lord Jesus Christ would come again. This is talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when He will establish His kingdom, not only in Israel, but in the whole world. Jesus will become King of kings and Lord of lords, not only of heaven, but of the entire earth. He will rule for 1,000 years until the final rebellion of Satan takes place. Now that, of course, is talking about the distant future. We're not yet there. Christ has not come again. But that will happen because everything about the first coming was fulfilled, and we are so sure that everything about the second coming will be fulfilled as well. Now, here's one of the promises that is given in Scripture to the people of that time. And here's what Isaiah 65 verse 24 states. Here it goes. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Now try to imagine this. You're praying to God, but even before you're able to complete your sentence, God gives you the answer to your prayer. Even when it is just in your mind, even before, before you whisper a prayer to the Lord, the answer is already on the way. Now, some of you might say, well, that belongs to the future. But in truth, if you take a look at Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we are able to see that God is quick to hear. Sometimes, even before the problem takes place, God already has a solution in place. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, what is the biggest problem that you and I have? Our biggest problem is sin. That's the reason why this world is miserable. That's the reason why this world is out of control. That's the reason why people have skewed values. That's the reason why we're dying. That's the reason why we get sick. That's the reason why there are wars. That's the reason why there is chaos in the world. The reason is sin. But friends, do you know that even before that took place, even before we messed up the world, the Lord already had a solution in place in Ephesians chapter 1. Because we are told there that even before the foundation of the world, He had already chosen us, He had already elected us, He had already predestined us. So way ahead of the existence of the problem of sin, God already had a solution in mind. And that is just one example of how our God operates. That is one example of the omniscience of God. He knows everything. He knows everything about us now, and He knows everything that will take place in the future. And God is preparing solutions ahead of time. Again, we need to have that view of God. So the question, therefore, that we would like to answer is, why then? Was God seemingly inactive with Israel? 
Why then was God allowing the southern kingdom to be oppressed by Assyria? Why was it that God was now allowing another nation to rise in power? And they were now a looming threat to this little tiny southern kingdom. How could they possibly defeat these very powerful empires? How could they defeat their very powerful and cruel military? Again, those were the things that were bothering them. Why wasn't God answering anymore? And here is where you and I will see the two failures of Israel. What were their failures? Well, the first reason is this. Going back to the nation of Israel in the book of Isaiah, Question is, why wasn't God answering their prayers for national stability and security? The answer is found in Isaiah 59, again, the same chapter we began reading, and we'll take a look this time at verse 2. Again, verse 1 began with, the Lord's hand is not so short uh, uh, to save, and that God hears our prayers, but here's the problem. Look at verse 2. But... Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. This was the crux of the problem. This was the reason why God was seemingly inactive. Their sins, their iniquities created a barrier between them and God. Let me read once again. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. That was the problem. The reason why God was seemingly inactive, the reason why God was allowing these threats to overwhelm the nation of Israel was because there was much sin in the land. In fact, if you take a look at the second phrase which says, and your sins have hidden His face, you will notice that in other translations, it is translated this way. Your sins caused him to hide. Again, another translation goes, Your sins caused him to hide. So the problem is not with God. The problem is not the fact that God is impotent. The problem is not the fact that God has a hearing problem. The problem was the sins of the people that they had committed which had offended God. That was the reason why there was so much problems and so much trouble in the nation of Israel. Now, as we reflect on this, as we take a look at our lives, we probably wonder why is it that there is so much trouble in our lives? Now, to be sure, some of those problems we have might not be as a result of any doing on our part. Perhaps God is simply dealing with our soul. Perhaps God is sanctifying or purifying us or conforming us to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Or maybe He is wanting to teach us patience or stretching our faith. Now, those are possibilities. But let me submit to you the possibility that sometimes the reason for our sufferings 
The reason why God does not answer our prayers is because there is something that is causing a separation between us and God. And could it be that what separates us from God is our own sinfulness? Could it be that there is a compromise in our lives? Could it be that there is an area of disobedience in our lives? And that has caused God to hide His face from us. He is so willing to answer our prayers. His might and power is able to deliver us in the snap of a finger. But there is inactivity. God is silent for one simple reason. Maybe we are in sin. And so, uh, Isaiah expounds on the sins. He, he gives a list of the sins of the nation of Israel, beginning at verse 3. Let's read. It goes, For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one sues righteously, and no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Verse 6, Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and an act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. They do not know the way of peace, and there is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. Now, this was just a, a few of the things that they were doing in Israel that was offending the holiness of God. This was the reason why this nation was in trouble. This was the reason why this nation was under threat. They were strengthening and fortifying their fortresses, but they were not strengthening and purifying their hearts. And therefore, even with all the efforts that they were making, they were still insecure. Their nation was still unstable. That, my dear brothers and sisters, is the problem. God was not the problem. They were the problem. The problem was not with God. The problem was with their sin. And sometimes, even as we think that we're all right simply because we're attending Sunday services, it is possible that we are nurturing or cherishing some sins in our lives. Let me share to you something that has really bothered me tremendously. There was this uh, and this came out in a post that was posted by somebody on Facebook. And I know this story to be true. And this is the story of a coach, a basketball coach, who would train teenagers. He would train people who were in high school. And he would give them training so that they could become good basketball players. And you know our country, our, our country is basically basketball crazy. People want to learn how to play good basketball. 
And so there were a lot of young kids who would gravitate towards him because he had a very good training program. And here's the problem, however. He was a homosexual. The kids did not know that he was a homosexual. And so they gravitated towards him, and he, he told them, don't call me coach, just call me bro. What he was really trying to do was to develop a warmer relationship with these kids. And what he would do is that he would try to give gifts to these, these boys, rubber shoes, shirts, signature pants, and things like that. He would give them to these young boys. And obviously, these young boys, because they wanted to learn how to play basketball and they were receiving all these wonderful things, they were warming up towards this man. And then he would invite them to sleep over in his house. And guess what would happen there? You and I know exactly what he would do. He would take advantage of these young men. He would make them watch pornographic movie, the kind that is gruesome, the kind that is violent, internet pornography. That is what he would want them to watch. And then later on, he would abuse them sexually. Many of these kids went through that spiritual trauma. But you know what makes it more repulsive is the fact that he was a youth pastor. He was a youth pastor. He was not just a basketball coach. He was a youth pastor. So he was proclaiming the Word of God. He was teaching God's Word. And he was talking about the Bible. And yet, these were the kinds of things that were happening in his backyard. These were the kinds of things that were happening in his home. He was abusing young children. He was abusing young boys, and he was getting away with it. The one who posted that on Facebook, when that happened, he was a teenager. He was still in high school. Now, he is 28 years old. And he says, I'm taking the courage to bring this out in the open, and I'm making this confession because I do not want any more victims. I do not want any more young boys to become victims of this person. Friends, we would like to think that in church, everything goes well. We would like to think that everything is all right when you are in church. You would like to think that everybody is spiritual, or at least everybody is moving towards spiritual, spiritual maturity. But the fact is, sometimes you will get disappointed. You will get frustrated. I know, I know of another pastor here in Cebu, and I'm sharing this because, again, we need to be aware we need to be aware of certain realities. We cannot always hide certain facts. We need to be aware that there are some false teachers and there are some false prophets who are masquerading as angels of light, but in truth, they are instruments of Satan. This pastor, even though he was married, was committing adultery with several women in his church. The fact is he impregnated a certain lady, and he has two children with this lady. But that was not the only lady whom he victimized. There was another lady with whom he has another child. 
And you would think that if he was truly a genuine believer, he would repent of these things and he would go back to his wife. But instead of doing that, he abandons his wife and goes somewhere outside of the country. And guess what he does? He continues to pastor. And my thinking is, how can you do that? How can, you, how can you pastor, how can you preach the Word of God and at the same time commit adultery? How could you preach the Word of God and at the same time live a very perverse life? And friends, what is worse is he brought his querida all the way to another country. Well, friends, judgment finally caught up with him. Today, he is confined in a wheelchair, no longer able to preach and teach because he had a severe stroke. And I'm thankful to God, not because I'm gloating over his situation, but I'm thankful to God that justice had finally been served. And friends, this is the kind of thing that God finds abhorrent. We cannot go on just simply worshiping God and singing songs to Him and not live the life that is required of us from the Bible. Our God is a holy God and He requires His people to live in holiness and in purity. And what a good way to start 2018. Amen? 2018 should be a banner year for us. And this should be a banner year because we are living in holiness. Because we make this resolution to live our lives to the honor and the glory of God. The Bible says that He has purchased us with His blood. That our bodies no longer belong to ourselves, but it belongs to God. And therefore, we are to use our bodies to honor and glorify God. God has bought us with the price of His precious blood. And therefore, we are no longer to live for ourselves, but we are to live this life for the glory and honor of God. That is what God wants. God is a good God. God's desire is to bless His people, to grant favor upon favor, to give grace upon grace. That is who our God is. Our God is a generous, magnanimous, loving God. He is not a stingy God. He wants to show to His people who He is. And He wants to reveal Himself as the great provider. He wants to reveal Himself as the great healer. He wants to reveal Himself as the great deliverer, as the great restorer. That is how God wants to reveal Himself to us. He wants to have intimate fellowship with us. But friends, at times, because of our disobedience, there is a barrier between us and God. And the result, of course, is disaster. In the case of Israel, we find the result of their wickedness, which was national disaster. Look at verse 9 of the same chapter. Here's what happened. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, but behold, darkness for brightness. But we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like, like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. 
We stumble at midday as in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we are like dead men. All of us growl like, like bears and moan sadly like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back. And righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the street, and uprightness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight, and that there was no justice. So there you have it. This was the reason why God's arms seemed to be short. This was the reason why it seemed like God was not hearing their prayers. Again, the fault did not lie with God. The fault was with the nation of Israel. They failed to recognize the God of Israel. Friends, understand this. When God saved us, He brought us to Himself in this loving relationship. He is our Heavenly Father. And we are His sons and His daughters. The Bible describes Christianity as God's household. We are called the family of God. We are called His brother. We are called His disciples. We are called His followers. This is talking about an intimate, loving relationship. We have a covenant relationship with God. And God wants to be intimate with us. But friends, that intimacy cannot take place if we nurture sin in our lives. But we take heart in this fact that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. Amen? So in truth, friends, all it takes is for us to confess and repent of our sins, and then we are immediately restored by God. Immediately, we can experience the refreshing presence of the Lord in our lives. But this is where we need to really evaluate ourselves and ask ourselves the question, Lord, how is my walk? How is my walk in 2017? And if your answer is, you have been unfaithful in 2017, if your answer is 2017 was a bad year for you because it was a year of compromises, a year of sin, a year of stumbling, a year of backsliding, may this year for you be different. And all it takes, my dear brothers and sisters, is for us to confess our sins. Sin is the cause of God's separation and inactivity in the nation of Israel, and it is still the reason why God's favor and answered prayer is not seen in our lives. 
In fact, as we take a look at Jeremiah chapter 5.25, it will show to us that our sins keep us from the good things that God wants us to have. Take a look at Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 25. What does it say here? It says, Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have withheld what? Your sins have withheld good from you. In other words, in the mind of God, He was intending goodness to come upon us. For after all, in the book of James chapter 1, it says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. The intention of God is good. The intention of God is to give to us. The intention of God is to bless us. The intention of God is for us to see His favor and His hand in our lives. And yet, God has to withhold the good that He intends for us because we refuse to turn away from Him and turn towards sin. The result of that of course, is instead of good, bad things take place. Again, quoting Matthew Henry, he states, See what mischief sin does. It hinders God's mercies from coming down upon us. It is a partition wall that separates between us and God. It provokes Him in anger to withdraw His gracious presence, to suspend the tokens of His favor, and the instances of His help. He hides His face as refusing to be seen or spoken with. See here sin in its colors, sin exceedingly sinful, withdrawing the creature from, the, from His allegiance to His Creator. And see sin in its consequences, sin exceedingly hurtful, separating us from God, and so separating us not only from all good, but to all evil, which is the very quintessence of the curse. It hinders our prayers from coming up unto God. It provokes Him to hide His face that He will not hear. Well, actually, if you take a look at the Scriptures, that is exactly what you and I will see. And so let me just give you a few more verses. Isaiah 115. Listen up. It says, So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 44. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. Try to imagine the picture here. There's a thick cloud and you're praying and your prayer does not get through that thick cloud. Of course, it's a figure of speech. It's like saying our prayers hit the ceiling and fall back down to the ground. It has no effect. It is worthless. It is useless. Now, do you, do you and I want praying in that manner? 
by which we are able to multiply our prayers and yet no answer is forthcoming, yet God is not hearing. We don't want that. We want God hearing our prayers. We want God listening to, to us. And He wants to pay attention. He wants to listen to us. In fact, God delights. Listen well. God delights in our prayers. God delights in listening to us. Why is that so? Well, because we are His children. You know, my, my son, TJ and Katrina, they had a retreat in Dumaguete. So they left our eldest grandson, Marco, with us for three nights. And boy, did he have a blast. He had so many stories to tell his dad and his mom that he enjoyed his time with us. In fact, when his dad was picking him up, he was crying because he said, I don't want to go. He still wanted to stay with us. But in the same manner that he was having a blast with us, we were having a blast with him. Just to see him smile, just to see the twinkle in his eyes, when you see that he's happy and is enjoying, when he talks to us, I mean, just hearing his voice, it was a great delight to us already. And that is exactly how our God feels. He is, he is a heavenly Father. He is a personal God. And so He delights in listening to our cries. He delights to, to listen to our prayers. He wants to hear our voice. For after all, that is an expression of dependence. It is an expression of our intimacy and wanting to be connected with God. Now, God delights in that. But friends, we must recognize the fact that if we fail to walk uprightly and in holiness and in purity, our prayers actually become useless. So again, just to summarize this, the first reason for unanswered prayer is our sin creates a wall or a barrier between us and God. But there's a second reason. So again, let's ask the question, what then would be another reason for unanswered prayer? And once again, we are given the answer in, in the same chapter, Isaiah 59, this time verse 16. Here's what it says. And he saw that there was no man, and he was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his, his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. Let's focus on the first two uh, phrases. It says, he saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. God was looking to and fro the southern kingdom, looking for somebody who would serve as a mediator. He was looking for somebody who would be like a Moses who would pray to him to turn the wrath of God away from, from the nation of Israel, from the southern kingdom. He was looking for somebody to intercede. And yet, as he was looking in every home, in every city, in every town, he found no one who was willing to pray. He found no one who was righteous enough to intercede for the country. He found no mediator. Isn't this very sad? That even perhaps with a million or more people, he could not find even a single soul who was righteous enough to intercede and stand in the gap for the nation. 
there was no one. And my prayer, of course, is that this is not true in our case. Our interest, by the way, the word intercede here is to be taken in a broad sense so that it could mean mediate on behalf of the nation of Israel. But my interest here should be limited, which I would like to do, limited to intercession, which is also one aspect of mediation. What we need is people like Moses. When God was about to destroy the nation of Israel because they were continually grumbling and complaining before God. And, well, let me just share this to you. Let me just show a picture. Let me just, I'm going to ask uh, Hannah to project uh, on screen the desert at this time. Now, this is, this is Moab. We took this picture when we were in the Jordan side, all right? Now, as far as your eyes could see, what do you see? All you see is a vast desert, and you have hills, you have mountains, and then that kind of an environment goes all the way to Egypt. So you could just imagine what the people of Israel were going through. And remember, they were with their wives. They were with their children. Some of them, perhaps, were riding donkeys or camels. Maybe some of them were walking. But, you know, this is a very terrible situation to be in. But God was promising that when they entered the land of Canaan, it would be different. It would be a land flowing with milk and honey. But this was the part that really tested them. And you know what? When, when we were in this place and I was looking at the whole area, I was deeply humbled in my heart. And I said to myself, Lord, I don't think I would have done better than the people of Israel. Lord, I think I would be, I would be one of the grumblers. I would be one of the complainers. I would be one of those maybe raising my voice against Moses. And maybe I would be with Korah in that rebellion wherein they were swallowed up in the ground. I was deeply humbled when I just realized how difficult this was. Now, in as much as I understand their situation, there is really no excuse for rebelling against God. But this is what Moses was up against. People were grumbling and complaining because of all the traveling that they were doing. And they were in the desert. Of course, God was protecting them uh, from the heat of the sun because there was a cloud of glory, all right, on top of them while they were walking during daytime. And at night, there was this pillar of fire to warm them up because in the desert, all right, during daytime, it's very hot. But at night, it's very cold. That's why you have a pillar of fire to warm them up. God was always there. But even then, their patience and their fortitude was tested, and they failed. They failed. And so God was about to, to let His wrath be poured out upon the people. And this is where we find the intercession of Moses. Turn with me to Exodus 32, beginning at verse 10. It says, Now then, this is God speaking, Now then, let me alone. 
that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. I mean, if, if Moses had a personal agenda and God was telling, you know what, Moses, I'm going to wipe out everybody else and guess what, Moses, I'm going to make you a great nation. I mean, if Moses had a personal agenda at that time, that would have been extremely attractive to him. Think about a nation coming from this patriarch, Moses. But that was not his heart. He had great compassion. And so here's what happens. Look at verse 11. It says, Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against our people, whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind. Change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of, heavens, of the heavens. And all of this land which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Lord, have mercy. Lord, hear my cry. Guess what? Verse 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. This is the heart of our Heavenly Father. Amen? This is the heart of God. I mean, his, his, his wrath could be storing up and he's just ready to pour out that wrath. But if we cry out to him and intercede and pray, he is so willing to hear and answer our prayers. I'm calling out people in this congregation to be like Moses, to be a man or a woman of God who would intercede and pray for this church and for our country. Friends, we need to understand that apart from prayer, Apart from our humbling ourselves before the throne of God, He cannot move. Because the rule in God's kingdom is asking. We cannot change that rule. That is how God wants to deal with us. He wants to deal with us in answer to our prayers. He wants us to seek Him, to knock, to ask. And then He opens the door for us. You know, as a sidebar, the interesting thing, when you take a look at the second part of verse 16, let me just read Isaiah 59, verse 16. It says, And he saw that there was no man, and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then it goes here. Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his righteousness upheld him. You know what this, this last phrase means? When God saw there was no mediator, when God saw that there was no one in the whole of Israel who was going to stand in the gap, guess what God does? He saves. He takes the initiative. That's why it says here, then his own arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness upheld him. What is this talking about? 
This actually goes beyond the local and immediate historical situation of Israel. And this extends all the way to God's answer in the person of Jesus Christ. Because there was no one who could stand in the gap because there was no one who could be a mediator. Guess what God the Father does? He sends His only begotten Son to be our mediator. He stands in the gap for the nation of Israel and for us. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ who stands in the gap for us. For the Bible says there is only one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus. What great timing, by the way, as we will be celebrating the Lord's table. The Wycliffe Bible Commentary comments on this verse, and it says, Displeased as Yahweh was, with the Jews' complete moral failure, he was also distressed at the absence of any qualified human mediator for Israel. The only course left was for him to become the mediator himself. His arm brought salvation unto him in the person of Jesus Christ, who alone was clad with spotless righteousness, impenetrable to Satan's darts. And for that, we give glory to God. Anyway, to close this, going back, the second reason why God wasn't showing favor to Israel was because there was no righteous intercessor, no righteous mediator who could stand in the gap. Let me ask you this question. Are you willing to stand in the gap for this country? A while ago, my wife read a psalm which spoke about David speaking to the next generation. And I'm hoping and praying we're not losing the millennials. I'm hoping that our voice is still relevant to the millennials. I'm actually very, very scared for the next generation because of the many distractions that they are facing. In fact, we are now living in a kind of digital society where everything now becomes very impersonal. Haven't you noticed when you go to a restaurant, everybody's on their cell phones or on their iPads. Nobody's talking to each other. We're connecting to the rest of the world, but we're not connecting to the next person seated in front of us, right? That's the world you and I are living in. This generation is more distracted than the previous generation. So you could just imagine the kind of challenges that people are facing, more so right now with just your finger, I mean with by just touching your, your cell phone or your iPad, you can already access internet pornography. You could already access things that you should not be looking into. And I know that there are Christians who are actually struggling as well in this area, and they're wanting deliverance. 
They're, they're wanting to cope up with what they are facing right now. This is the reason why we need to pray. We cannot afford to lose the millennials. We cannot afford to lose the next generation. But we have got to take seriously the matter of prayer. So two things we need to do. First of all, we need to repent. Because if we fail to repent, all our prayers become useless. Secondly, after repentance, we need to take seriously the matter of prayer and intercession. And I'm praying this 2018, you will be counted as one of those Moses-like people who will cry out to God and say, Lord, I don't want to be a great nation. I don't want great things for myself. I want great things for this country. And I want great things for the church. I pray you will be that person. Can we bow our heads at this time and close our eyes? Heavenly Father, the Word has been spoken, and I pray it has penetrated the hearts of Your people. Lord, if there is anything that we need to repent of, may You bring conviction in our hearts that right now, we will not procrastinate, but we will ask forgiveness here and now. If there is any sin that we are harboring, be it in act, in word, in thought, intention, may we confess it to you. And Lord, put in our hearts a desire, a passion to intercede and pray. Even as we come together in congregational prayer and fasting this coming weekend, Lord, may you call many of us to join together to cry out for this country, to cry out for this nation. Lord, we seek your face. Prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.